0: Good morning, Riv. How are you? So as we get started today, I do want to give a welcome to everyone who's joining us from all the places you may be uh, joining us from, uh, whether you are in-person at one of our in-person venues at uh, Holt or Riotown or West Side um, or at MSU. Uh, we also have a congregation that joins us every uh, Sunday morning um, at an English-speaking service at the Lansing Chinese Christian Church, As so we want to say hi to them as well this morning, and of course, everyone joining us online. Uh, Today, we are diving into a new series that we're going to be in for 12 weeks. Now, for those of you who are regular Revites, you know that our favorite thing to do is to pick a book of the Bible and then just to work our way through it. And uh, we just got out of Romans, which we spent like 15 months working our way through Romans, and that's normally uh, what we do, but this series is going to be a little different. Instead of working our way through a book of the Bible, we're going to be working our way through something called the Apostles' Creed. Now, I know for some of you, um, the fact, when I even mention that, you, you have a little bit of a panic. Like, maybe you grew up in a church where you had to memorize the Apostles' Creed, and every single week you'd stand up and you'd recite the Apostles' Creed, and you're like, yo, I love Riverview because I don't do that. Um, We're going to do that for 12 weeks. Later in the service, we're going to stand and we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed, not because we have to do that, not because it's some sort of tradition we're going to continue after this series, but because it's uh, it's part of what we're going to be looking at over the course of the next 12 weeks. Now, some of you, you're excited because for you, that brings up some nostalgia. And you're like, I loved that. And there's this this richness to the Christian faith that comes out in the Apostles' Creed. And you're like, I can't wait to do that. And some of you are like, this is mostly those of you, maybe became Christians at Riverview. You're like, what the heck is the Apostles' Creed? (laughs) Well, we're going to get there, and I'll tell you about that in a second. I want to start by telling you why we're doing this. Why are we working our way through this, this statement? Well, it started uh, with a conversation that I had with our amazing Riv Kids curriculum team. And they came to me and basically said, We would like to stop uh, uh, for a period of time doing the same thing that you guys are doing down there. And if you don't know that, our Riv Kids cover the same material as we cover down here so that you as a family can connect with your kids and what you're learning. We cover the same passages as we're working through books. They're like, Well, we want to stop for a little bit, and we want to cover the Apostles' Creed. And so I I asked the question, well, why do you want to do do that? And they said, because we're realizing our kids don't know some of the most basic things about the Christian faith. And they they brought me a whole plan, and they're like, we want to do this. We want to go back to the basics uh, with our kids. We want to cover with our kids the basic stuff, the simple stuff that Christians all around the world have historically believed. And the longer I talked to our team down there, the more I realized we all need this. And here's why. I think a lot of Christians tend to treat Christianity like a burrito bowl at Qdoba. Now hear me out here. A burrito bowl is, under no definition of the word, a burrito It's not. If you look up burrito in the dictionary, this is how it's defined. A Mexican dish consisting of a tortilla rolled around a filling, right? So then we go to Qdoba and we're like, you know what? Sounds good. A burrito, but I'm gonna take out the two things that make it a burrito, I'm going to take out the tortilla. I'm just going to throw all that crap in a bowl, right? And I'm not even going to wrap it around anything. Those are the two definitions of, of a burrito. So you, can't call, you, can call a, you can call a burrito bowl, I don't know, a salad. <laughs> uh, depending on the shape of the bowl, you can call it a casserole. But you can't call it a burrito. And see, what happens is we have the audacity to call that thing a burrito bowl and we do the same thing with Christianity. We say, you know what? I think I'm gonna take out some of the important stuff and still call it Christianity. And not only that, I'm gonna work my way down the aisle like I do at Qdoba, and I'm gonna pick and choose the things that I put in this, and then I'm gonna get to the end, and I'm gonna eat this thing and call it a burrito. That's what we do with Christianity today. In fact, six out of 10 Americans, agree with the following statement. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion and not about objective truth. Six out of 10 Americans believe that. It's like the book of Judges where it was written, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And by the way, that was not a compliment. 69% of American Christians, 69% of American Christians, which means probably the majority of you, believe that only really bad sins will be judged by God. And then they don't define what that is. Because why? We think we get to pick. (laughs) And obviously the really bad sins aren't the ones we like They're the ones that other people commit. We think God is only going to judge other people who are committing sins that are much worse than ours. 78% of American Christians, nearly four-fifths of American Christians, say that they believe God the Father created Jesus, which is not true, by the way, and we're going to cover that in the next couple weeks. But you want to know the most encouraging part of all that when I was reading all those studies? millennials, while they may be the smallest generation of people who say that they follow Christ, they actually hold the most biblical views of all groups of Christians. That's encouraging to me. They're more on it than us old people are. So the bottom line is, I realized our Riv Kids team was right. So we are going to follow them we're going to follow their lead. So you could almost say it's not that they're covering the same material that we are, we're covering the same material they are. We're covering the same stuff that our kids are gonna be learning for the next 12 weeks. And so here's the thing, I wanna encourage you, if you have kids, talk to them about this stuff. They are all gonna get one of these books right here. You don't get one, they do, because we're following along with them. Uh, They're going to get these little books that work their way through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, By the way, if you're joining us online, email us at rivkids at rivchurch.com with your mailing address, and we'll send you a copy of one of these so that you guys can have them at home. And so here's what I want you to do. If you're a parent, use this series as a time to talk to your kids about what you believe. Maybe make it your lunch thing to do on Sunday or a time where you sit down with them, talk about what you learned, what they learned, what you believe. So let's dive into this, the Apostles' Creed. What is it? Well, first of all, we have to define what a creed is, right? A creed is simply a statement of belief that guides your actions. It's, it's it's core stuff for you. It's like a little pithy little statement that says, this is what I believe. And we have tons of creeds in our culture. Right now, there's a, a multicolored secular creed that is popping up in a lot of our neighborhoods, right? It just says, we believe these things. The, the statement, Black Lives Matter, is a creed. The statement, my body, my choice, is a creed the statement, God, family, and country is a creed. Our world is filled with all kinds of short little statements that people throw out there, put it on a bumper sticker, you know, put in a sign in the yard to say, this is what I believe, and this guides my actions. And for centuries, the church has held to the Apostles' Creed as one such statement for us. Contrary to the title... The Apostles' Creed was not written by the apostles. Uh, It came together over the first couple hundred years of the church as they were pulling together like an old school uh, statement of faith. In fact, it was originally um, used at baptisms. So if someone was going to be baptized, they were read the Apostles' Creed and asked if they could affirm this stuff. It is so basic to Christianity that every follower of Christ should be able to look at the statement and say, yes, that is what I believe. I do want you to hear one thing really importantly, though. The Apostles' Creed is not inspired by God. It is not equal to Scripture. It doesn't carry the authority of Scripture. Rather, it is a summary of Christian beliefs, like I said, an old school statement of faith. So, why aren't we covering our statement of faith at Riverview instead of the Apostles' Creed? I'll give you two reasons. First, The Apostles' Creed is the most widely accepted of the Christian creeds, and that's important for us because we are living in a super divisive culture right now. And this creed transcends denominations, it transcends generations, and it roots us in what Christians have always believed. Second, the Apostles' Creed just covers the basics. (laughs) The beauty of the Apostles' Creed is that it's universal and really, really simple. It's weighty, and it's accessible. We were talking about this with the online service before we got started, so those of you in the online service are already ahead of us here. But we talked about the fact that you can read the statement and go, oh, yeah, that's really simple, and then you can read word by word through it and go, oh, that's deep, deep. And as Christians, we may disagree on a lot of stuff, but not this stuff. Like we talked about back in October, uh, we had buckets of belief, things that we we sometimes hold really important for us, and we'll be like, why isn't that in that statement? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of important stuff that's not in here. This is just the basic core stuff. We have a bottom-line belief system in the Apostles' Creed that gets us authority not from what people decided, but through what Scripture teaches, what it says is true. So, like I already warned you, we're going to start by reading the Apostles' Creed together. We're going to do this every week. And my hope is that it will become so familiar to us that maybe we'll memorize it. I actually considered, mem- I don't have it memorized. I considered memorizing it, but I thought, no, I'm gonna read it every week with us. And let's see if we memorize this thing uh, together. And after the series, we're gonna stop doing this. We're not starting a new tradition, but would you stand with me? And we're together gonna read this historic statement of faith. You ready? I believe in God. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may have a seat. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the first line of this statement and see where it comes from in the Bible. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe. It's really interesting that the Apostles' Creed starts with the word I. Because not all of the historic creedal statements did. The Nicene Creed starts with we... And it's interesting because the Bible is usually written to groups of people. It's written to churches, it's written to nations, right? Israel, it's written to, to groups of Christians. And yet this creedal statement starts with the word I. And I really like that. Because even though the the scriptures are written to us as a community most of the time, our faith starts as an individual faith. It does. The word believe or a derivation of the word believe appears in the Bible 299 times. What's interesting about that is 36 of those times appear in this chunk of scripture right here. It's called the Old Testament. This is the time before Jesus came uh, to earth as a human that we're gonna celebrate here in Christmas. 36 times in that big chunk of scripture And 263 times in this little chunk of scripture that was from the time of Christ and later. I think that's significant. And it it should come as no surprise to us that as Christians, um, which by the way, we get our name from Jesus Christ, (laughs) we are often called believers because that's who we are. That's what we do. We believe some stuff. And here's perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible and then a couple extra verses. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. And anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. The word believe appears four times in this short little passage alone, and it is a universal call to every individual. If you believe in Jesus, you will have eternal life. If you do not believe in Jesus, you are condemned. That's hard. And that is a core teaching of Christianity, and it starts as a personal call to you. I can't believe this for you. You can't believe this for me. Now catch this. This individual nature of this faith call to belief in Jesus doesn't negate the corporate nature of our belief. In fact, on the contrary, when we assent to this set of beliefs, we are placing ourselves into a historic body of people who have always believed the same thing. Across denominations and generations, across nationalities and languages. When we say, I believe, we are placing ourselves in the we. Later in the Apostles' Creed, we'll see the phrase communion of saints. And not to steal any thunder from that message. But the phrase is talking about the importance of us as Christians living our lives together. Even worshiping together. I was reading an article this week that talked about the gravity (laughs) of getting into a car and driving to a place where other people are worshiping together. We are happy to provide an online service for those who need it. But hear this, it is better for us to be together. For the I believe to be made full, we declare it in the presence of one another we sing it in the presence of one another we hear it in the presence of another one another the i believe is a we believe and hear me, I believe isn't a statement that says, in my opinion. We've kind of softened belief to that idea, right? When we say, I believe, we say, I, 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 it is my opinion. When we say, I believe about this stuff, we're saying that we are staking our lives and eternities on something that is true, whether someone else believes in it or not. And here's where it starts. I believe in God. And when we say we believe in God, we aren't saying we believe that there might be some sort of higher power out there somewhere. We're saying something very specific. We believe in the God of the Bible, not just some higher power somewhere. We believe in the revealed God of Scripture. And this is what Scripture tells us. Now, without faith... It is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This verse starts where the Apostles' Creed starts, believing that God exists. And not just that God exists, but he's a God that is connected to our daily lives. He's not detached from us, you see what it says? It says he engages with us, that he rewards those who seek him and that the way we seek him is by faith. And honestly, I don't know where all of you are at in your faith journey. I don't know what it is that you believe, but here's the starting point of Christianity. God exists. And, it, and if you never really wrestled with that, you must. And the promise of this passage is, God will reward you if you seek Him. So, if you don't believe in God, may I challenge you on something? Maybe your friend dragged you here today or is making you sit on the couch and watch this. (laughs) May I give you this challenge? Ask God if He exists. And I know that means praying to someone you don't think may exist. I get it. But ask Him earnestly say, Do you exist? And if you do, would you make yourself real to me through this scripture? What do you have to lose? You got nothing to lose. And if this is true, you have eternity to gain. Now, there are a lot of ways that God has revealed Himself to us in the Bible, and two are listed in the first line of the Apostles' Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty. Throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, there was this covenantal relationship between God as a father and Israel as a nation. We see this in verses like Deuteronomy 14, where it says, you are sons of the Lord, your God. You are a holy people belonging to the Lord, uh, your God. The, The Lord has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. There's this sense in which God is the father of the entire nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, we see something really fascinating. There's this personal nature to this relationship with God that Jesus talked about differently. In fact, Jesus talked about it in in such a way that people wanted to kill him for it. Here's what it says in John 5. It says, this is why the Jews began all the more trying to kill him. This is why they wanted to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. His own father. Jesus was declaring that God was not just the father of the nation of Israel, but that God was his own father. Jesus talked about God the father in a personal and intimate way. God was his father. And when Jesus was in emotional turmoil in the garden, the night he was betrayed, before he went to the cross, this is what he said to his father. And he said, Abba, Father... All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. When he says to his father, Abba, it's like he's calling him dad. You could say that that is like Appa. That is like daddy. That is not just a a formal term. It is an intimate term. When Jesus was faced with with the cross, with the sins of the world being piled onto him after living a sinless life, when he was facing, he, he separated, from God the Father, whom he had been with for eternity because he was not created. He cried out to his father. He said, dad, dad, take this cup away from me. But not what I will, but you will. And that description of God as his dad doesn't just apply to Jesus. You may remember in the last series in Romans, we covered this verse. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, Abba, Daddy, Father. My friend Dave and his wife, Kathy, just a couple weeks ago had the joy of adopting their new son, Chris. And Chris had been in foster care with them for about four and a half years. And just before Thanksgiving, he got to be adopted. And Dave's daughter, uh, Maddie, she um, caught this exchange between Dave and Chris a couple days later. Dave told Chris, I really like being your dad. And there was a pause. And then Chris said, I've never heard anyone say that about me before. I like that. That is what Christianity says to you. You have a dad that really likes being your dad. Dad, you have no reason to fear. You've been adopted. When this world, with all of its horrors and all of its sin press into you, when your own temptations flare up inside of you, when Satan accuses you of not being enough, cry out to your adopted father. Because here's the thing about your heavenly dad. He's not just your dad. What does the Apostles' Creed tell us? He is the father almighty. In the very first book of the Bible, God sets up this covenant with with Abram. And 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 Abram at the time is a 99-year-old geezer married to an equally geezerly wife, no offense to her. And they had no kids, and and God told them they're gonna have kids. And you can imagine that came as a little bit of a shocker, right? But this is what God said to Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am the God Almighty. (laughs) I'm not just God. I'm the God Almighty. If you have any doubt that you and your wife are gonna have a kid in your geezery age, the doubt should be assuaged with this one word, I am Almighty, he says. Let's break down that word for those of us who are bad at words. Almighty. He has all might, he has all power. Your father, your dad has all of the power and this almighty nature of God extends from the very first pages of the Bible all the way to the last book in Revelation all the way back here. Where he declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, the one who um, is to come, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come, the Almighty. This is God the Almighty. He is the Alpha, which is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. He is the Omega, which is the last word in the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is eternally Almighty. He is the one who is which means that God exists now. He is the one who was, which means he's always existed. And he is the one who is to come, which means he always will exist, that he will always be almighty. And what is this almighty father who is, who, who, who was, who is to come? What, is, what does he do? I believe in God, the father almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. What does your dad do? He creates. Heaven and earth is a fancy way of saying all the stuff you can see and the stuff you can't see. <laughs> the stuff down here, the stuff up there. He created all of it. I love Psalm 19. I'm just going to read four verses of it. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There is no words. Uh, Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and the words to the ends of the earth. Uh, The earth. I love this psalm. The psalmist David is saying, "Just take a look at the sky for a second. It doesn't actually speak." It doesn't actually have words, but it speaks. It declares something. It gives glory to God and says, He has created everything you can see and everything you can't see. From the twinkling of the stars to the twinkling in your child's eye, nothing exists that He did not declare, create, and everything declares his glory. This is what he did with his almighty power. He created, and the crown of his creation is you. He created you so that you may be his child. Don't miss how important this is. Think about all the things that we're declaring when we say that this is what we believe. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Creator of the heavens and earth. If this is true, you owe your very existence to Him. You owe everything to Him. As St. Augustine wrote, You made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I have never met anyone who isn't searching. But I've met a lot of people who don't know that they are. We chase after significance every single day of our lives. We try to find it in our careers, in our relationships, in our hobbies, in our social media likes, we're longing for something, we're searching for something, and it's always just outside of our grasp. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, eternity is bound up in the heart of man. We just know it's there. We just can't put our fingers on it. But what we're longing for, whether we realize it or not, we're searching for a heavenly father. We're searching for our creator. We're searching for significance in him. One of Jesus's closest friends, one day just went totally bold and he went up to Jesus. He's like, Lord, uh, show us the father and that's enough for us. <laughs> I know you got a lot of other stuff going on, but we've been talking and we pretty much think if you'll just show us God the father, that'll settle everything, Right? uh i mean he just cuts through the noise doesn't he he said we, we figured out what we're searching for it's the father and if you just show us the father everything will be great and this is what jesus said to him he said have i been among you all this time and you don't know me philip the one who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak of my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. If you want to see God, look no further than Jesus. Jesus' words were God the Father's words. His actions and his works were the works that his Father commanded him to do. And his ultimate work on the cross, where he died for the sins of the world after not committing any. The separation he had from his Father, that moment that he cried out to his Father in the garden about. His burial his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death, his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, that ultimate work was done so that you could be his brother and you could call his father Abba. This is what I believe. And this is what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, how powerful it is that we so often start our prayers with those words. Heavenly Father, we believe in you. We pray because we believe in you. We believe that you are Almighty, and yet you care for us deeply on an intimate level. We pray, we we believe that the same almightiness that you use to spin the world into, into existence is the same power you use to save us. The same power you use to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises us to life when we place our faith in you, when we believe in you. And so we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would cause us to know more deeply how mighty you are and how beloved we are. We just pray that you would increase our faith in your son, Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name, in his name alone. Amen.